Hi everyone, welcome to the Peak in the Pit podcast, an episodic podcast to share the peaks and the pits in the day-to-day lives of teachers, students, and staff as a tool for reflection, growth, and improvement. Hello, beautiful. Welcome back to the Peak in the Pit. As a friendly reminder before we jump into this episode, today is election day, so if you didn't already early vote, make sure you make time to get to the polls today and make your voice heard. A couple of things to keep in mind if you are heading to the polls and you're told you cannot vote, you legally have the right to ask for a provisional ballot. And provisional voting allows a voter whose eligibility has been questioned to vote on election day. So maybe your name was taken off of the list of people who are allowed to vote. You still can get um, a provisional ballot. So provisional ballots are kept separate from other ballots and require verification by the election authority after election day. So you will need to follow up afterward to make sure that your vote was counted. Before you ask for a provisional ballot, though, make sure you verify with all poll workers to check surrounding systems for your name prior to casting that ballot. And remember that if you are denied the right to vote or at any point feel intimidated, that you should report the incident to any other poll worker present, local officials, or the Department of Justice hotline, which is 1-800-253-3931. Um, Also, if you are like my sister and you're voting for the first time in this election and are feeling apprehensive for any reason, or you have um, an additional reason that you would need someone to come along with you, you are allowed to bring someone with you to the polls for support. And polls are open from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. and you can find your polling place via a quick Google search with your permanent address. Alrighty. So now that you've decided to schedule your day around voting, let's segue back into this week's episode. I've been doing some research lately on the field of education specifically in reference to race and how education in America sees predominantly white educators in pre-K through high school. According to the U.S. Department of Education, um, they had an article or a journal entry rather, entitled The State of Racial Diversity in the Educator Workforce that was published in 2016 with results from 2012, so it is a bit dated. But at that time, 82% of teachers in the United States were white, 7% were African American, and 8% were Latino. And white educators, as we know, who grow up in a primarily white society, generally speaking, receive little to no info about racism or race in general. According to Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility, a single required multicultural education course taken in college or required cultural competency training in their workplace is the only time that white people may encounter a direct and sustain challenge to their racial understandings. So because of this, they then cannot think about race and racial constructs from a critical lens. Furtherly, D'Angelo discusses growing up in segregated environments and how white interests and perspectives are almost always central, which leads to an inability 
to see or consider significance in the perspectives of people of color. With only 15% of African-American and Latino teachers representing 40% of our African-American and Latino students, we quickly create an inability to see or consider significance in the perspectives of people of color in our classrooms. On today's episode, I speak with my aunt. Her name is Barb. Um, she is a formal, former social worker in our sister district, District 96, and now a mom of two to two of my favorite boys in the whole world, my cousins, Luke and Noah. My Auntie Barb is someone who I've admired for my whole life for a multitude of reasons, but I believe the biggest one is her ability to continually grow, improve, and educate herself. And in this episode, you'll hear us discuss the inner workings of being a mom and raising a family that doesn't, quote, match, as Noah used to call it when he was younger. Luke and Noah were both internationally adopted. Luke came home at the beginning of 2016 from China, and Noah came home in 2007 from Guatemala. My aunt and uncle are both white, both of whom were born in the States and both grew up in Berwyn. Together, their family has experienced their fair share of difficulties and struggles in regard to their family looking different than the, quote, average or, quote, white family that we touch on in this episode. However, we do talk a lot about educators and our need to be aware of our own biases and the centralist perspectives that we have when building curriculum, assigning work to the class, or even in the language that we choose to use in our classrooms, buildings, and meetings. In the background, as a side note, you'll hear Maria chime in a few times again. Um, she's quickly becoming my sidekick, but what else is new? I also talked to Maria about how I don't specifically ask people what their peak in their pit is anymore. And she said it might be interesting for me to talk about what my peak and pit is in creating each episode. So I thought I might try that this time. And I think my peak in making this episode was creating space and conversation around language used in regard to adoption was my primary focus, but it did also turn into um, a conversation around language use um, surrounding race. But with that, I'd also like to point out that my pit in talking about this is that I'm not nearly as educated or articulate as I would like to be, and I just want to, moving forward, listen more, um, learn more and do better each time I listen and learn. Hope you enjoy. Just start by telling us who you are. Okay, I'm Barb, your aunt. Uh-huh. <laughs> more and what is your, no, what is your background? Just um, so we can, you know, give you a Professionally? Reputable. Yeah, sure. Um, social work, a school social worker for 19 years. And then I started I staying really home with Noah. When he was around five or six. And what grades did you work with when you were doing social work? Um, I've worked with all the way from preschool through high school. Okay. Wow. I, 19 years, really? Yes. That's crazy. I did not realize it. Yeah, that I'm old. At, <laughs> but not all of them were in Berwyn, right? No. You I've were worked Ladsley, in Joliet. Right? I've worked in Chicago. <clears throat> yes. Oh, at Ladsley House. for a couple of years. Yep. Okay. So... At first, when you talked about adopting, I obviously am selfish and I'm like, oh, 
I don't think I could ever do that. I don't know if I would ever be brave enough to do that. So like what, how did you get to that point? Like was it ever a question of you being brave enough to do it or were you nervous? Were you anxious? Were you, like what emotions did you have? Definitely it is scary. I think it's scary to even just have a baby. So right. just anytime you're adding to your family, I think it can be, you know, nerve wracking. How we got to the point with adoption, we knew we wanted to have a family. We weren't able to do it biologically. I, I think I always knew even when I was younger that I wanted to adopt. I also wanted to have biological children. Mm -hmm. um, and then that wasn't happening for us. We went through a lot of fertility stuff. Um, so one day, Uncle Scott and I were just chatting and we were like, you know what, we don't necessarily want to be pregnant. We want to be parents. And there are a lot of other ways to do that. And then that's when we started researching agencies and domestic first international and all that. So can you talk about, well, first question, you said, and maybe I was wrong, you did want to adopt regardless, you know or what? you didn't, you weren't sure, you maybe wanted both, you... I remember talking about it with friends <coughs> in grade school. Adopting? That I would want to adopt someday. Really? Um, you know... You know, you just talk, uh, my friend Cheryl and I would talk about opening up, a, we wanted to open an orphanage and, you know, yeah. silly things like that because we loved kids. Um, but yeah, it was always something in my heart, but, you know, life gets in the way and you kind of mm -hmm. just think, oh, well, I'm getting older and biologically it wasn't happening for us. And so how did you... Can you talk a little bit about like domestic versus international, like what that looks like? And um, I think it's really a personal that. choice. Um, you know, we we obviously didn't care if the children looked like us or not. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't anywhere even on the priority list. Um, honestly, international at the time, I don't know how to say this. Um, that's just where our heart was. You know, we we looked into both extensively mm -hmm. and yes if anybody knows you you have like 19 binders with yeah, tabs with and, all yeah, the tabs yeah. and everything mm -hmm. and I, I think we prayed about it a lot mm -hmm. and I think our hearts just the first time led us to Guatemala and then the second time that that was definitely a God thing as well um you know we weren't even you know Noah was already how old you know yeah Nine years nine. old. <laughs> so we thought we were kind of done. And then God said, ah, maybe not. And we brought Luke home. Um, so before I get into like questioning you about them, I think the language, that was one of the biggest things that um, you, obviously like Luke's language, but like the language that you choose to use when you talk about ado adoption and not choose to use, but that is appropriate, yes. was the biggest eye-opener for me. And I still don't think that I am correct every time that I speak about adoption, but could you talk a little bit about how like you raise awareness for that? like? When people are like, oh, he's adopted or she's adopted, could you talk about like... Yeah, well, I think when we were um, in the process of adopting Noah, um, you know, everything's new and you're reading everything, every book that's available, um, and you're really sensitive to adoption language. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I bought every, every family in my family, so like all my sisters and... Um, a book that talked about 
you know, appropriate adoption language and, you know, uh, different cultures and when someone in your family is adopting from a different culture and that sort of thing. And that was helpful to me. Uh, but I also think it's important to show people who, you know, use language that isn't necessarily appropriate that you show them some grace because they don't know. I didn't know before I adopted, I'm sure. You know, like something as simple as, oh, he's adapted. And to me, it's like, well, he was adapted. Yeah, you know, he was adapted when he was one year old. You know. So will you correct people when they say? I do. Okay, good. I do, Okay. usually. And what is generally the response? Do you think people are receptive and like, yeah, like I, change the way that they say it then? Definitely, or? yeah. I think people 99% of the time are like, oh, okay. And then they get it right the next time. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least try to. That's yeah, what I I found. remember that, like one time when I was younger, I said... Um, Oh, does Noah have any real brothers or sis- brothers oh, and sisters? And you said, well, we like to say biological. And ever since that point on, like, or, um, oh, that you're his real, real mom. Yes. Or real dad. And you're like, I'm human, so yes, I'm real, like, biological. And that has stuck with me. Because, I mean, I was like eight, not even seven when no when noah came home yeah when noah came home and so since then like i make sure now when people say that oh is that his real mom like well i'd say the same thing you told me so that's really helped a lot yeah and and when noah was in grade school one time when he was in first grade this is such a cute story i was volunteering and i was standing in the hallway and one of his classmates said to me she's looking at me she's looking at noah going back and forth, the cutest little look on her face, and she says to me, are you his real mom? And I said, yep, it's my favorite thing to be. And, well, I responded that way for a couple of reasons. One, she was only in first grade, mm-hmm. so I wasn't going to give her a little lesson, mm-hmm. you know, right then. But also, <clears throat> my son was watching me, mm-hmm. you know, so it was really important for me to think, okay, how, you know, how are you going to handle this with the little seven-year-old, you mm-hmm. know? But, yeah, I mean, that happens. Are you his real mom? I'm like... You know, and you can use humor. You know, people use all different ways to handle it. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm fake, you know. <laughs> well, no. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, it definitely comes up. Do you, does it still come up? Like, do people still look yeah. at look at you guys when you're out and they're like, oh, like you get weird looks or do people make comments about it? Yeah, even? we don't match. You know, our family doesn't match. Same. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, like breaking down those Stereotypes, I don't know if that's the right word, but like those preconceived ideas yeah. that we have of like what makes a family a family or matching. I love the way that you said that. Did you hear that from somewhere? Or like um, why did you, Well, we, we I, don't match. I've never I, heard you say that well, before. Well, Noah has used that when he was younger because, you know, our skin doesn't match, you know. Mm. So. Um, does it bother you when people say something? Not if it's said with a good heart, you know, if it's said in like a accusatory way or like uh, unapproving or disapproving, mm-hmm. then yes, it does bother me. Do you have like an example um, of that? You don't have to say names. Or well, anything, like but... the the women at the mall. I was yeah. Like, well, you know, it's really not any of your business if my husband is Guatemalan, Guatemalan or, or Mexican or whatever you think yeah. he should be for me to have this child. Mm-hmm. That was kind of... Um, that bothered me a little bit. Out of nowhere, too. Like, right. they just kind of came, they just approached you. It's not like you were having conversation. So do they 
get questions about it ever? Or do you feel like it's just kind of built into their norm because... Because you've gone into their classrooms, right? Well, no, Noah, I have. Because, well, Noah, it's been, it's different with Noah because he's been home since he was one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, his friends, he, he's been in school with these kids since kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So they know me, you know, they know me from being in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know I miss mom. You know, mm-hmm. it's now they know. Um, Luke, it was a little different. He was almost 11 when he came home. So that was a little bit harder for and having him. those conversations yeah. about it. Did you go into his room or did the teacher, like how, what was that um, transition? When Luke first came home, his teacher was awesome. She let me spend quite a bit of time in there, really more to make him comfortable. And I kind of acted as his tutor a little bit. I'd work on the computer with him, just an extra set of hands in there, mm-hmm. um, which was nice. And Luke was has been blessed, I'll tell you, with like, his class that he's in, they're so kind. And the kids? A, yeah, the group of kids that Luke entered fourth grade, they've, they're amazing. They've been amazing. That's good. Yeah, so he's, he's felt included. His teacher did everything she could to help. She sent a video home for that month that he didn't go to school. Mm. Um, she sent a questionnaire. The kids all had questions for him, so that was really nice. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So she she did everything that she could to welcome Luke into the classroom. So, and we're lucky because we have such a great community mm-hmm. here. Yeah, you um, do. It's been nice. <clears throat> it's you know for Luke. So, a lot of like you mentioned, like he stayed home from school for a month, and yeah. I mean with Noah, like you said, it was different because he started in kindergarten. But all of these things that you've done, and with any parenting situation, it requires a lot of decision making, but I feel like these decisions that you make are just a little bit more high stakes um, for them. So how do you make those decisions and like feel confident in them or know what decision to make or like know what to say to I don't know like going back to your social work well yeah I do that a lot I I I do I do rely on my background a lot Mm -hmm. as far as like role playing with my kids I probably do that more than typical parents Um, like if there's a problem like um, when Noah was younger a, a child at school told him that his skin was ugly um, and too dark and that sort of thing. So, you know, I spent quite a bit of time helping Noah find the words to respond to someone who was being mean in that way. Um, and as a social worker, I learned it's, it's easier to say something when you need to, when you say it, practice, you know, mm-hmm. when you're, so we would practice, we would role play and I would be the mean guy and let Noah come up with some things to say. And then I would be Noah and he would be the mean guy just to kind of, Practice saying the words because then it's easier to actually say them when he had to say them or if he wanted to say them Um, And you know Noah's um, Noah and Luke are very different. So how they choose to address the situations are very different. Noah would be more Noah's real quick He's real witty. So Noah would use wit more than anything Mm -hmm. where Luke likes to educate Mm -hmm. or Luke will use um, wow, that was a really mean thing to say. Or, you know, that's not a nice thing to say. Um, so the way that they handle things is very different. And that's okay. Not one's better than the other, but it's what works for them. So two questions. One, when 
Noah, when that happened to Noah, that specific instance, I'm just going to say, and I'm sorry if it sounds mean, but you're, you're white. So how do you talk him through that? Like what, and I know that because you're a social worker, you have all those tools. Like me, I don't think I would know what to say. Well, I am a social worker, but I'm a mom first. And so you're so, like, swing. You know, the first thing I want to do is like, okay, is it okay if I beat up a seven-year-old? No, probably not. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, I, you know, your mom instincts kick in. And, yeah. and you know what? I don't. I will never know how my kids feel mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so really letting them cry, letting them feel what they feel and just holding them, hugging them. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. really, because I, I can't ever be in their skin. Mm-hmm. So I don't know yeah. um, how they're feeling. I know they're feeling awful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the longest time, Noah wouldn't even wear uh go swimming without a rash guard on. Um, you know, he hated the summertime because his skin got so dark, mm-hmm. um, those sort of things. And, you know, it kind of breaks your heart mm-hmm. every time yeah, because that one comment had such an effect on him. You know, he, he was so little. Too. Yeah, he was so little. And then because of the political times, both my boys have been told, you know, they're going to be deported um, by friends who either hear from their parents from watching the news or you know, at where else they would hear it, but, um, you know, just educating them and trying to make them feel safe. Really, that's all I can do. So just, like, creating space for them to feel what they're feeling, and it's not necessarily like you're talking them through, giving them advice, but just making... You know, the, mo- the biggest advice I would say always goes back to how can you handle these comments? How, you know, what can you do? You know, because there are certain times, I explain this to both my boys, sometimes it is okay to ignore, but mm-hmm. when racism and negative stereotypes are brought into it, I don't believe that's a time to teach my boys to ignore mm-hmm. and walk away because if they do that, then they're becoming a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's my boy's job to educate everybody you know I don't feel that at all um, but they do need to stand up for themselves they're you know I, I, I tell you're strong you're a strong Guatemalan you know you're a strong Asian man, young man mm-hmm. you you need to feel empowered and they'll get there you know but they're only 12 and 13 so yeah I mean geez we're <laughs> talking about them like yeah and that's another thing to like be aware of is that they do all of this and they are so young or they're going through all of this and they are so young and then they are educating to your point about Luke. Luke's an educator or he likes to say that that hurt him. Yes. Does he always do that? Like with you guys, will he, is he open about how he feels like, Oh, that really upset me that you did that. No, neither of my boys are, are good reporters, mm. for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, to tell me when things happen. Um, you know, they think they handle it. Um, you know, uh, I know you both know about the incidents that just happened to Luke, mm-hmm. um, where he some very mean things were said to him, like Asian lives don't matter, and um, just some awful things. And um, Luke didn't even tell me. A friend of mine who heard it told me. So that was awful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, they don't. They won't. They're they're both pretty private, and they also don't want to get anyone in trouble. 
And I think mm-hmm. that's... The loyalty factor. Well, they're, they're and the, you know, at their age. Yeah, they're, right. Wanting to fit you know, in. Oh, you're a snitch if you right. say something. Exactly. And neither one of them ever, ever would want that title. Well, and like, and fitting in. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, you want to... Exactly. Want your friends, don't matter what. Right. Horrible people, right. yeah, right. I mean, so in instances like that, like what, what happened with Luke and what happened with Noah, you will just sit and have conversation with them and talk them through it. You said you role play with them. So what yeah. what do you tell them to say? Like for people who maybe, like parents who aren't doing that with their kids and they've, they've experienced similar situations, what are some tools or things that you say to them that like next time if you're in a situation like this here's what you can say yeah well we've recently talked about that a lot and like i said like noah will use humor but luke will use education so like for instance um wow that's a really racist thing to say that was really mean because think about it if you confront someone like that a lot of times they don't know what to say yeah, back. Exactly. You know? Yeah, they're, they're um, And, you know, Luke's not being rude. He's not, That's not rude. It, it's an okay thing to say. And I, I'm proud that he would choose to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not starting a fight. He's not calling them a name back. And that was my biggest thing. I'm like, if you do that, boys, then you're a part of the problem, too. You're just as bad as that person who just insulted you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about that a lot. We talk about, you know... You know, topics that are off the table when you're arguing with someone because you know you're gonna fight. You're gonna fight with friends when you're a mm-hmm. teenager. Um, so we talk. We've talked about that. You know, you don't. You know, don't talk about anyone's mother. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. You know, don't talk about anyone's looks, their weight. You know, yeah, don't bring any of that into it. Um, Speaking from personal you know, experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell them you're intelligent young men. <laughs> Use that. Use that when you're right. talking to people. Use your intelligence. Um, don't stoop to their level. And I, they under, I think they both understand that because they are pretty smart kids. And, oh. you know, they... Yeah, don't be like, oh, you're ugly. Yeah, like, you're that stupid. Just, or, yeah, that just... or even just, like, shut up. You know, well, that's not really getting anywhere. Right. <laughs> you and know? it's not solving the problem. Um, but think about it. Even as an adult, if you if you ever responded like that to someone who was rude to you, like, wow, that was a really mean thing to say. Yeah. That's awful. Like, an adult wouldn't really know what to say. About, I mean, yeah, I'm thinking know? of, like, so many times in my life, even, I mean, yeah, literally in my life that I could have said something or that I should have said something and I didn't. And not about me, but, like, hearing people in conversation, if I would have just said that one thing. Yes that would have at, at minimum made the other person think even if they had nothing to say back or That's at why minimum I felt like I had to say something with the whole Marissa thing when... right so my point is like I'm not okay it it makes me uncomfortable because I hate conflict yes and so I'm like, oh, well, it's easier, which is horrible, to do nothing or to say nothing and just let those ignorant people be ignorant than to speak up. I'm getting better about it now because I'm yeah. an adult, but my whole life, I, I mean, you know I don't like conflict. Yeah. So, like, 
for them, like that's a huge weight to have to carry. And well, like, I don't, I, I don't really think it's a weight. I think it's a really good life skill to learn to be able to tell someone yeah, when right. they've hurt your feelings or that what they've said is rude or you're mm-hmm. perceiving it as rude. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want my boys to know that it's okay to say to someone, "You're being really rude to me," or "Wow, <laughs> you are just a mean person." Yeah. That that. You know, I want them to have that courage, whether they're Chinese or Guatemalan or whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I think it's really just a good life skill yeah, to to sure. stick up for well, yourself. Like that's not starting an argument. That that's literally just someone says, "Well, you're fat." Well, you're well would I rather have my boys like, "Well, you're ugly and I can lose weight"? Well, no. I want them to say, "You're mean." Like what you just said is so mean. You know. So why are why do you think you're so good at doing that then? And I'm not. Or you can chime in on this. Why do you think that I'm not good at doing that, but you are? I do think that, well, <laughs> this could be a whole session here. <laughs> no, yeah, go. Yeah. Unpack it. Let's do it. Uh-huh. Unpack it. You're definitely more of a people pleaser people pleaser, yeah. than, uh-huh. than she is. Mm-hmm. Um, not that she doesn't care. Um, she absolutely does care what people think of her. Right. But... That's like high for high priority like for priority. you. You know, you've you've always been like that, and mm-hmm. I, that could be. You know, I'm I'm always into like the birth order thing. You know, you were firstborn and an only child for seven years. Mm-hmm. You know, so that True. comes into it. You know, and then because you, I mean, I do. Yeah, you're right. Like you do want to please people, but you also make it a priority to be like, you're pissing me off. (laughs) I mean, I think uh, it's more so like, um, I think you want everyone to think like highly of you and you like don't want like any, you don't want to step on anyone's toes ever. Mm -hmm, Where I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. Like if you're close to me, then I care what you think of me. And like, if I love you, I care what you think of me. But if you're just some random, I really don't care if you think I'm rude for speaking up for myself. Whereas you're more so like, I don't want anyone to think negatively of me. Whereas I'm like, oh, well, like that's on you then kind of thing. I don't know. So do the boys like possess either of those qualities? Like that we have, or is one more of a people pleaser than the other? Or do you think they both will? I think Luke's more of a people pleaser, for sure. Um, But they're both conflict avoiders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, honestly, both of them would be more comfortable not saying anything. Wouldn't everyone be more comfortable not saying anything, though? Like, that's not a weird, that's not a weird trait to have. Do you, you don't agree? No. I think there are, you know, people who are, true extroverts and who like to argue and like are would be more comfortable saying that to be you know like arguing um yeah arguing just argue and not saying that if you confront someone who's being rude to you that's arguing just argue but um and i don't want my boys to argue i just want them to tell people that they're being rude or what they said is racist or unkind or a stereotype you know i was trying to explain to luke even the other day he was um you know, oh, mom, sometimes they do say nice things about Asians. And I'm like, oh, what, honey? You know, I'm excited for him. And he's like, oh, well, they said um, I got a good grade on a math test. And someone told me, uh, well, Asians are smart. And he, I said, well, honey, let's talk about that. Because 
okay, you think that was a nice thing to say. He didn't say, well, you're smart. He said, Asians are smart, so it's a stereotype. I said, were all your friends in China good at math? No. So he's taking away all the hard work, that you, all the time you spend studying, mm-hmm. all of the time, you know, extra time you spend solving problems to get good at math. He's taking away all your hard work and saying, well, you're only good at math because you're Asian. So that's really not a compliment, honey. Like, but he didn't get it. He didn't understand that at first. Okay, so I'm so glad you said that because that was going to be my next thing is do you think they always will know? Clearly not. I mean, you just answered that question, but like do you think they'll always know when someone is being stereotypical or racist or like do you think that they're aware of it yet? Or do you um, think the awareness is being built as they get older? Because even when Noah was 7, like like he knew that that hurt his feelings cuz someone said that his skin was mm. ugly, but like did the correlation of like that is a racist thing to say no it was just different right being different i think luke is probably more aware of it because he's much older Mm -hmm. um but no it was more about being different right so as they get older do you think they're more aware of things that people are saying as like this and plus you pointed out like our political climate right now i think absolutely because it's it's a topic of discussion in our home you yeah. Know, so yes, they they are becoming much more aware of it. And I just think that it's very, very, very important. I'm really glad you said it to me because I'm the one that needs to learn the lesson. I mean, them too, but like me also saying that something is rude or saying that something is not okay with you, even take race and stereotype and all of that out of it if someone says something to you that hurts your feelings being able to say this hurt my feelings doesn't make you a bad person yeah definitely is so important to learn for me and like it just is like a revel like a revelation to hear you talk about it like in the context with them yeah and i think well because you're a teacher and you're going to be a teacher i i think it's important for teachers to be aware of biases and stereotypes too just and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because the assignment I know I told you about that Luke was given um oh yeah can you talk really, about that well you know when when kids um join a family through adoption some assignments are a little harder for them you know and um Luke was given an assignment in one of his classes um that was a little insensitive and um you know, being Luke, he wasn't going to tell me that he was uncomfortable with it, but he showed me the project, and I was a little bit upset with it. And um, we talked it through, because it, he wasn't the only one in the classroom that it upset. And I think as teachers, we, we you too, need to, you know, just kind of take a look at your class <laughs> and how it might affect certain students. Students come from all kinds of family in your district. I mean, you have kids who live with grandparents right. and aunts and uncles from foster homes and who join their family through adoption. And so some assignments might be a little bit um, more difficult for them. His, this particular assignment was to write a want ad for a parent. Um, you know, when you think about it, that's kind of insensitive. Um, not kind of, it is insensitive. Yeah, I feel like and, all but, around. Yeah, yeah, but the great thing is that when I, it was an assignment that had been on the curriculum for years, and when I approached the teacher about it, she was amazing. She was, she listened, and she could not have handled it better as far as her response to my concerns. Um, so even as a teacher, just be open to listening to the different family structures and how certain assignments might affect them and, mm-hmm. um, 
is so important because, you know, she could have been like, well, sorry, that was the assignment, but she wasn't. She she listened with an open heart and she was awesome. Honestly, could not have handled it better. Did you like give her suggestions for what could yep. have been? I, I told her, I'm like, you know, the, if, you know, let's talk about other ways that this objective could be met in your classroom because I know you have to meet this objective, the state standards and everything. And she was great. She She listened and she's like, you know, after this year, it's out of the curriculum. and I feel like you would be such a good consultant, like to go into schools and see like what district, like what schools are using in their curriculum and what assignments they're doing and if it's appropriate, you know, appropriate It's kind of funny, not. like you get thrown into it because you want to advocate for your kids, mm-hmm. you know. The one that I was thinking of that I thought you were talking about was the, um, was it Star Student or... Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good point too. Um, it really hasn't affected Luke because he was he's older. But you know, some of these kids don't have baby pictures. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, something as simple as that. So like timelines might be difficult for them. I know they have to learn about timelines, but there are other ways that you can teach about timelines and that sort of thing. So again, keep that in mind. You know, mm-hmm. I have very very few one baby picture of Luke. You know. So, you know, right. asking kids to bring pictures to school, and you don't even think about it. It's just something, oh, it's cute. And well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? learning about that in one of my education classes, like different family structures and how to base your assignments off. Exactly. And, and most assignments can be pretty easily adjusted right, to right. like broaden yeah, totally. the scope to still meet the state objective and I know it's all about that now and mm-hmm. me- meeting the standards and that sort of thing where you know it wouldn't take much effort on a teacher's part to like okay well we can do that instead there was another one too that worksheet that came home oh. one worksheet came home and it was like circle it was a picture of a house but there were like pictures of things around it like a baseball and an iron and like trying to remember i know i sent you a picture of it yeah and i came inside (laughs) and and there were things on there yes because he didn't know the language fine but like also on top of that like culturally there were things on there that he would not have known what they were like background knowledge or context of of right the work that he was given was also not appropriate or yeah, and that's a that's a whole another <clears throat> podcast because I could bring in the whole ESL, you know, yeah, ELL yeah. thing, which again, the biggest advice for for moms and dads who are advocating for your kids, be an advocate. Like, don't be afraid to speak up for your kid. Um, go to those meetings and you know, bring a friend if it feels better mm-hmm. to sit next to you. Um, because it's pretty intimidating sitting around a table with, you know, eight professionals and then you're sitting there all by yourself. Mm-hmm. One of the best pieces of advice I got in grad school um, was, as, as a social worker, always sit next to your parent. You know, like, you, mm-hmm. you're you there for them and mm-hmm. that, that child. So sit by them. Oh, and I never didn't sit by the parent. Hmm. So. We look at children who don't speak English primarily as like the other mm-hmm. instead of looking at, at looking at it as like nope this is just the way that it is yeah. so in dual language classrooms or bilingual classrooms or like oh well I don't I don't know how to do that because I don't speak Spanish like I, I can't teach him because I don't right. speak Spanish mm-hmm. or I can't teach him because I don't like I 
how do we break that stigma down? Like, because you don't, you didn't speak Chinese. Right. Um, well, I, what is the Mandarin? Mandarin. Yeah, he, he spoke Mandarin, Mandarin when he came home. Um, I don't know all the right answers about that, but I will say that Luke's um, classroom teachers for fourth and fifth grade while he was at the elementary school when he was actually learning the English were amazing. Mm -hmm. They were so open to like using an iPad, um, having a little translator for him to use, pairing him with another student that was okay with that, with, mm -hmm. with showing him either through, you know, just her actions or showing him, you know, sat him with that kid, you know, they were just wonderful with that. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, he, a style teacher, a whole different story. But the, his classroom teachers were amazing. And I'm thankful for them that they were so, you know, that little extra time where, you know, they would have to walk over to his desk and get him on the right page on the iPad so that he could follow along was worth it. You know, never leaving him out, you know, like he would still be included in the reading circles, mm -hmm. um, which is part of the reason I think he picked up the language so yeah. quickly. <clears throat> because um, he was included. They didn't set him aside. Mm -hmm. You know, which was really, really important. Um, especially, I mean, that fourth grade teacher, um, she she never seemed like it was a bother. She was so wonderful with always letting him have, you know, either a peer to help him, you know, even something simple you got to think about, like asking to go to the bathroom. You know, I she made sure that that was somewhere on that iPad so that he never felt uncomfortable, you yeah. know, and he could do that. And then having the peer to be able to take him places. Um, so that was key. And then, you know, of course, the translator on the iPad was so important um, because then he could write it and then it would translate it. Did you ever feel at any point there were teachers that he's been with that have looked at him as he can't do this like in meetings that you sat in was the language that they were using like luke can do x y and z he can do this he can't or was it he can't read at this level he can't like um, how, how do they how did they word it for you or were, do you not remember? yeah well i had plenty of meetings where many you know of his teachers were there because he was pulled for extra help with reading and that teacher was wonderful. Um, and I hate to say this, honestly, it was the ESL teacher who was the least educated on making um, modifications and accommodations for my son. Mm -hmm. um, you know, letting a child simply copy a paper, um, you know, he learned nothing from that. Where his teacher that pulled him um, for to write an actual paper you know, it was as good as you were going to get from a kid who just got here from China. He had no English when he came here, too. I just want to make sure Minim like we... Minimum. Okay. Very, very minimal. minimal. Right, right, right. Um, very minimal. Right. Um, so that was frustrating to me because it was almost like, oh, I f honestly felt like that teacher had the attitude, well, he's Asian. He's going to pick it up really quick. He's smart. Mm. And at one meeting, she actually did tell me, well, he's, he kept, she kept repeating the phrase, so he's a smart kid. And I'm like, I know my son is smart. He's also only been here for three months. You know, that what you're having him do. She handed me a paper that she said he wrote, and I clearly knew that he did not write it. 
and a good friend of mine ended up Googling it, and the whole people, paper was from... Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was from a website. The whole entire paper, word for word. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, remember that. You know, a child who's home two months does not use the word cheeky. Here's the <laughs> Right? Okay, I would never even <laughs> right, that right. But like, here's the thing about that is like, that is just like, you don't have to be an educator to know that. Right. You don't exactly. have to have a degree. You don't have to have a certificate. You know, to know that that is clearly not his work. Yeah, and my whole point in telling you that is not to bash ESL because I think it can be an amazing thing. It's just as a parent, you have to advocate for your kid. And as a teacher, working with an ESL teacher as someone to help you Mm -hmm. work with the child, you also have to advocate for that kid saying, okay, let's break this down. You know, look at the paper he wrote for me. Look at the one you're saying he wrote from you. No, no, this yeah. is it. And when the actual fourth grade teacher showed me the paper that he wrote for her, I read it and I said, yep, yeah, that my son wrote that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, yep, he did. And I knew he did yeah. because it was very appropriate for a child who had just been home for a couple months. That's what I wanted to see. I want, I'm like, wow, he's already starting to write in sentences. That's pretty amazing. I didn't need to see, you know, uh, uh, you know. First of all, you made my kid write about an Asian, you know, yeah. actor. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then, uh-huh. whatever. And, and that's another thing too. It's like, okay, um, in my opinion, she should have had him write about something that they were learning in English. Yeah. So that he could also learn alongside of them. Uh-huh. Again, as a teacher, like, it's okay to say to the ESL teacher you know what, no, we're not going to have them write, you know, a biography. Mm -hmm. We're going to have them write about this. Because, again, the same skill, you're learning sentence structure and that sort of stuff. That also speaks volumes to, like, knowing who is in front of you. And you already touched on that a little bit, but, like, you obviously, being their mom, know them very, 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 very well, right? But, like, as teachers, we also need to know them really, really, really well. And know what they are producing, where they are in that moment, like currently where they're at, where what their goals are, right? right. And like the absence of that is the result of th- that paper being turned in and being brought to a meeting as like a data point that clearly was not <laughs> right. valid. So yeah. teachers being aware of who is in front of them culturally you know, socioeconomic, what families they come from, and then also academically is what I think is most important. And well, it sounds like that fourth grade teacher was... Well, and also, that's 100% true. I, I think I've been blessed with teach- taking the time to get to know my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been extremely happy with the district. Um, but parents have to stand up for their kid. Like, we have to have a voice. We can't be afraid to sit at that table with eight professionals, as hard as that is. And I'm an introvert, and I get it. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do know your kid the best, and you have to trust it. Because I don't think that ESL teacher would have handed me that same paper had it been Noah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. because Noah's Guatemalan and Luke is Asian. And whatever, you know, assumptions are drawn from that. I don't think that ESL teacher would have drawn that same assumption from one of her Hispanic students. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Really. And maybe that's what I mean to say, but I, that's the feeling that I got. Yeah. 
So can I ask you, as a, as a formal so, former social worker who sat in those meetings as the social worker and then now as a mom on the other side, um, well, it sounds like the same side of the table still, <laughs> but like yes. on the other side of it, um, families that I've worked with or meetings that I've sat in, um, and I think generally speaking in the, in the community that I've been blessed to work in, most parents are just thankful that we are there and we are they, we are advocating for their child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, generally speaking, like agree with what we have to say and are very appreciative, um, but also don't necessarily have the background that you or I have um, yeah. when they go into those meetings and also might have like a different stigma of education than what you or I have. Like, so how, when you were a social worker... Did you, one, did you see that? And two, if you did, how do we do better about like including parents in the conversation or, or, or like making them feel empowered to advocate for their child? Yeah, I think that's an amazing question because at, when I was a social worker, I, I was lucky enough um, for one of my first jobs after I got my master's, I worked for a great director of student services. She was awesome. She listened to the parents. She was creative. Um, She really felt that that parent knew that child the best. And I don't see that all the time. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's right. She she treated that parent as an equal member Mm -hmm. at that table. And that's not always the case. You know, when when you go into those meetings, it's you know, we, we're the professionals, we got all the data, and you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's never that genuine question, what do you think would work? Like, do you think this is a good plan? That it's just like, okay, here, sign, mm-hmm. sign this, you know? Um, as social workers, part of my job, I felt, was always to, it's easier for the parent to talk one-on-one with me mm-hmm. and say, okay, what are you really thinking? What, what's not working here? Mm-hmm. As we go into this meeting, what, you know, if you're not comfortable saying it, I'll say it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you think would help your kid best? And we need to listen to them mm-hmm. because I, I do think I know Nolan Luke the best. You well, know, you do. And, yeah. and teachers need Obviously. to respect that. Yeah. And I know kids are different at school, definitely. But as far as, like, I feel like I know their learning styles really well. I'm not saying all parents do. But yeah, I mean that I'm that's good that you say that too because of course you work with them a ton, right? And like you know, of course you know them really well because of that you are very aware of what they're doing in school and some parents like aren't able to right. do that for for whatever reason. But even like the language that we choose to use in meetings as well and like the thing, you know, like there's eight, like you said, eight professionals in one room sharing different data points. You have the psychologist right. and the psychiatrist and like, the I speech mean, therapist, this, yeah, whatever, the yeah. OT, the P, you know, yep. all talking about things in academic terms. Mm-hmm. We, were ta- we learned about, this is so crazy that you're talking about that because we had the same discussion in my education class about like the seven people that are in on all meetings, um, <laughs> yeah. specifically like IEP meetings. Mm-hmm. Um but that we use this language, IEP, um, yeah, this and that, and yes. it makes a lot of the times it makes the parents feel like they're less than, yeah. and it makes them feel 
like they're not on the same level and that our my teacher said like we need to work as a team not like yes. us against the parents it's like we need That's to right. like co-labor and like co um yeah. teach with them yeah. and um to know that like their points are valid like they spend time with their kids too i mean like you said not all the time because some parents you're always going to have those parents who are just going to come in defensive argumentative mm-hmm. right that's not the norm though it's not what i found in 19 right. years of working with the school systems and and families that's it's not the norm. Right. And I almost feel like we look at that as the norm or like the negative is always what we hold on to or mm-hmm. the extreme is what we hold on to. So then that's the way we enter every meeting or that's the way we enter classrooms is that like, like we oh have no. this one kid or this one parent and then like that's the, sh- that's the way that we run the meetings from, from that point forward because this one parent was out of control or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that we looked at it as, like you said, that's not the norm. Yeah. And I, I know you know this, and you are learning this. Um, if you create that team mentality with a parent, those meetings are going to go so much more smoothly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if they feel like you are really listening to them. So do you think that team starts with parent and teacher or teacher and child and parent that th- yeah, that, that triad, triad for sure and then to whatever support whatever, staff yes, is absolutely. involved on the caseload yeah I, I think the teacher has a big responsibility of setting that up mm-hmm. for sure yeah and then whatever like you said support staff that you know are working with the child yeah did were there eight people at his meeting that you went oh to? there might have even been more because are the principal c- was there the director of student services was there the director mm-hmm. of curriculum was there esl his reading specialist yeah there were a lot wow and that's intimidating it, well i was determined to i i actually started the meeting off with the director of special i tried to start the meeting i'm like you know what? I asked for this meeting. I'd, I'd like to start it. Oh, that's terrifying. I know. I would, and I'm not like that. I'd be so like, scared to sit in a meeting with you. I'd well, be like, okay, you're right. I'm but fitting. I'm not like that. But I was prepared. You know, I had right. a list of things that I wanted addressed. And I didn't want her to control it. Right. I wanted to control how the meeting went. You should be a person that does that for parents. Oh, like an, an advocate? Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. You would be so good <laughs> at that. To me, that was, I've been, I've done that for parents. I've gone with them to meetings. But like, friends, you would be so friends. good at that. Like in in districts, like where, like maybe the parent doesn't speak English. Not mm-hmm. that you're going to translate or whatever. But like going to meetings yeah. with them and like meeting them on the side and talking about their plan That'd and breaking fun. things down. That would be so cool <laughs> that would be fun no but that is it like um oh my gosh you have to do that. a lot of the times parents don't want to go to meetings right? too because they don't speak the same language not even meetings like school events right even just like a math night yeah they don't want to go this whole talk in my ed like in my uh intro to special education or exceptional learners so it's talking about yeah yeah like all learners um what do they call it? exceptional learners? Yeah, the class? yeah, introduction to exceptional learners. Um, but it's super cool because we talk about this and something as simple as like a parent-teacher conference or an open house. You know, parents that don't speak English don't want to go because right. they're surrounded by all these people that do speak English, mm-hmm. or um, and they like oftentimes feel less than. Yeah, I'm so glad you're learning that. Yeah, and I think that's I know I don't key, think we learn that. You're that. Learning that. 
you know, and, and you need to make your classrooms inviting, even if, right. like, I didn't speak Spanish, but I always made sure I had a translator, always made sure I had some way to communicate. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, I remember I had a deaf parent, and I don't know sign language. She was, we wrote everything, and she was so appreciative because yeah. she, she would laugh at me, but I wanted to know what she was saying. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to know her thoughts, and we would just write everything, and yeah. Yeah, I would have just pages of notes. and. That is a good point, too. The effort that you put in right. towards, even at, you said she laughed at you. Yeah. So I hesitate to speak Spanish because I don't <laughs> want to sound stupid. I don't even know. Like but they I appreciate right, it. Right. And I'm yeah. bad at being vulnerable about it. Yeah. But like, even if they, like, one of my, you know, Miss Gonzalez, my my zenith and stella okay she is there she so i had zenith and stella the first year of chance to dance and then they've been in it since and i also had zenith in class and so I, this mom is like oh god just she cooks for me us oh my gosh she gotta love it she like sends us she said she used to send me with um or she used to send zenith with lunch for me she makes us dinner she i, I mean a, a true best. queen yeah but she always says like she'll speak to me in spanish because she knows that like i'm i'm trying and so yeah. she'll speak to me in spanish or she'll type in spanish and she'll like force me to respond <laughs> i love it she's like no 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 miss g <laughs> and it's like, oh, you're it. like oh god but that's I amazing. think the effort is yes. what is important and totally. is what counts. Totally. When I worked at Christopher House <clears throat> um, Head Start program, I used to always have to do the flyers in Spanish and English because I wanted the the Spanish speaking parents to come to my meetings, mm -hmm. my parent education meetings. And I'll never forget one time. And I would post them, and I would be so proud, you know. Mm -hmm. like, and this was before you could Google. I know. I was just going to say you, you know? actually uh, had the translate. And then I, I would ask some of my teachers to help me, you know, like, oh, did I get this right, yeah. you know? And. One time I thought it was perfect and I posted and all the parents are like snickering in the hallway and I'm like, and I had a good enough relationship. I'm like, what's so funny? Like, what are you laughing at? And they're like, they would say like, good job, but this word in our Puerto Rican dialect means a bad word. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I was just going to say that. Do you remember that? Mom no, telling you about no. that? Grandma made well. First of all, kudos to Grandma yep. yeah. that she even translated it mm -hmm. into Spanish because, like, her generation it's is amazing. not yeah right. Like, yeah. generally speaking, but she translated. She put all of her recipes into a cookbook, but then translated, like, hand wrote, translated all of them uh -huh. into Spanish for Celia because Celia it's only like speaks Spanish. Thing I know with a Spanish dictionary, like a book, oh not not online. She looked up each word. And oh translated gosh, it. So awesome. yeah, isn't that so cute? Oh my gosh! Um, at Maria's guy. So, <laughs> so that's cute. amazing. Peach cobbler was what the English recipe was, and then she translated it, and it it was like peach shoemaker, like yeah. a like a whatever yeah. or something. Oh yeah, yeah. a cobbler. A cobbler. Right, yeah. But in Spanish, it was literally like a shoemaker of peaches or something ridiculous. <laughs> and Sally was cracking up. Oh my gosh. But it was the effort, and exactly. she was like so appreciative yep. of it, uh -huh. and so like yeah, thankful. You're 100 percent right. Like none of the parents were mad at me. They thought it was funny. They loved that I tried, and I'm like, well, I was supposed to say cake or something, and it was a bad word. And the other, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're like, that's okay, it's okay. So they crossed it out and they <laughs> corrected it for me. 
but they appreciate it. Like they yeah. you know that we would try. Yeah. At least. Miss yeah. Gonzalez is good about doing that, being like, Oh, you forgot an accent here and mm-hmm. this is the wrong word and da 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 and I'm like, Okay, do you just want to do it for me? Because <laughs> well, that would be amazing. I also think that like all ties together with you know, like people trying to talk about adoption and stuff and might use the wrong words, but like they're mm. trying, like the they're whole trying. thing like, coming from from mm-hmm. a good heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about like the effort to like, oh, I want to speak about adoption, but I'm not sure what right. words to say. So it all like stems from like, yeah. oh, like I want to translate this because I want you to be able to understand it. Right. I want to translate it because you're Mexican. Or right. Because, you know? Exactly. So it all comes like back to that point of. Definitely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Circling all the way back to the beginning. That happened yesterday to me. I was talking about someone and I said, your friend, um, the guy in the black in the brown shirt or whatever. And the person that I was talking to was like, oh, well, they are gender nonconforming or, or something. I don't remember what he said. So now I'm going to sound like an idiot. But basically that their pronoun is they, their. Gotcha. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. And I didn't. And then I was like, okay, well, what would have been better of me Mm -hmm. to say then? Like, how can I change the way that I'm just speaking generally? Right. Like, not not for any specific type of person or whatever, just like generally, how can I be more broad about how I'm speaking? And so he, he, who I was talking to, was like, well, you could just use they or like they were... They had a brown shirt on. That's a whole nother Oh, okay, yeah. Too. That I mean, yes, but like. But your point old. is, he was he didn't mind answering you, right? Yes. He wasn't like mad no. about it, and I I think that's important. Mm-hmm. You were like you wanted to learn. You it was coming from a good place. Please tell me what should mm-hmm. I say in this situation, and then you don't mind it. Then you yeah. know he didn't mind answering your question, right? Because you didn't get like well, whatever you knew what I meant. You know you didn't get defensive. No, you were. You know, open-hearted like tell me tell me what I should say and yeah. I'll try to do better I'll probably mess up again but that's okay correct me again yeah, yeah. and yeah. that ties in with what we talked about in Marissa's episode just like if you know better and you do better yes then that's okay when you know better and you don't do better that's when we have absolutely problems and that's what we talked about in Marissa's episode a lot too absolutely <laughs> well thanks for chatting with oh, us sure. We could probably talk three more hours. Literally all day. (laughs) 500 more podcasts. But 